welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is November 27th. It's the first Sunday here in Advent. And uh, this morning we are in Genesis chapter 38 is our primary text, looking at the story of Judah and Tamar. And uh, we, we wound up looking at the story because in Matthew's genealogy, in his gospel, Matthew, Matthew notes four different women that were in the line of David, in the line of Jesus. And so uh, it's Tamar, Rahab, uh, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And interestingly, as we noted here this morning, he doesn't even say Bathsheba's name. He just says the wife of Uriah. Uh, this is some, you know, daytime soap opera, juicy drama that that Matthew is reminding us of. And the whole point of it is to just to draw the picture of the depth of God's redemption. And so this morning we looked at Tamar's story from Genesis chapter 38. And Danielle, my wife, is uh, she was here this morning in first hour to ask me live questions, and, uh, and she'll be on the podcast here with me uh, for the entire month of December as we walk through this Advent series looking at those four women uh, in Matthew's genealogy. So Danielle, welcome. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, asking questions this morning. Good questions. You know, there are a lot of good questions that came in about this about this passage. It's one of those hard passages in the Bible, and um, yes. and yet uh, when I think when we dive into it, we see this beautiful picture of redemption. We see grace. We see God's uh, ability to work in the midst of our broken circumstances. You know, and uh, and that's a hopeful message for each and every one of us because we all walk in in and through those circumstances in our own lives where we're like, man, can God even use this? Right. You know, I mean, the, the fact yeah. that maybe God could save me from my brokenness is amazing enough, but the fact that then God can take my brokenness and use it for my good and his glory is even more, is even more profound. And there's uh, almost no, no profound, no more profound story in the Bible than, than that of Judah and Tamar that God brought through the line of, of Tamar the the Messiah and the rightful Messiah as he as he as Matthew as Matthew takes pains to point out for us so um, yeah so let's yeah. let's go ahead and let's jump in what were you know um, we talked this morning in the live session about you know, some boundaries and things like that in personal relationships and um, some some historical context came up in those in those questions but but let's start let's just go ahead and make our way back through the questions that came in this morning so what's the, what's the first one. Okay. Well, <clears throat> this morning we talked, um, we started to talk about uh, families and dysfunction in the family. What are appropriate boundaries to set? Um, should we cut family members out <laughs> that are um, behaving sinfully or maybe have hurt us? I mean, we yeah. see in the story yeah. of Judah and Tamar that uh, both of them you know, did things that were sinful, mm -hmm. and we yeah. see lots of hurt done to Tamar, you know, yeah. where, you know, she's lost two husbands, and they weren't mm -hmm. great husbands, and then, yep. you know, yep. Judah, yeah, <laughs> Judah, he manipulates the situation so that he doesn't do what's right by her, and I mean, there's yeah. just a lot there's of Yeah, there's a lot of dysfunction and brokenness, yeah, yeah, yeah. so... 
we ask the question, is it okay to separate ourselves from people that commit sinful actions, or is it wrong to cut family out of our lives? Mm. Yeah, and so when we talk about that this morning, that's a that's a good and important question, right? I think, so when we talked about it this morning, we, we talked about a couple of different things. Um, the, the first thing that we talked about was, is this truth or this reality that, that healthy relationships require boundaries. Uh, sometimes we have a contentious relationship with boundaries in that we think that, that boundaries are this oppressive thing or that, that they are, you know, that they don't actually help. You know, we only have to put boundaries in when we have bad relationships, but we put boundaries in all of our, all of our relationships have boundaries and, and our healthiest relationships have boundaries. And so, sure. so boundaries are really there to help the relationship flourish and the relationship to be healthy, right? I mean, so the example of that, the I think the most positive example of that is that when you enter into a marriage relationship with someone, right? So when we got married, we made vows of intent to one another. Those are the, we're, we're talking about boundaries, right? Our vows are boundaries for our marriage. And the reason that we make those vows, when we take those vows, when we speak those vows, is because what we're saying is that our marriage is something that is worthwhile, something that is beautiful, something that is significant and it needs protected. So it needs boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and so, but, but it's when the, when we're in difficult relationships and we have to put those boundaries in place, um, they're not, it's not easy. It's never easy. Right. But healthy relationships require boundaries. And this morning you talked about, Danielle, you talked about, and you reminded that, that even as we put those boundaries in place, those boundaries you know, they may not always be the same boundaries, right? The, it, the relationship might progress. It might grow healthier because of the boundaries that we've put in place. And then you reset the boundaries, you know? And, um, I think, you know, we've seen that personally in our own lives where we've had to set boundaries of time with different family members, you know, where you've said, Hey, you know what? We're going to meet with this family member. We're going to go be with them. Uh, we can do that by going out to eat. But going out to eat is a very, it's, we're in a public place, right? So it's going to reduce maybe some outbursts. It's also going to, it's also going to naturally limit the time. We're not stuck at somebody's house all day long. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we've done things like that where we've put, you know, literal boundaries up of like, Hey, yeah, we, we're not, we, this is a challenging relationship, a difficult relationship. Let us buy this person dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let us go out to dinner with this person or out to lunch with this person in our family because we know that the relationship is tough. And so we're trying to put some boundaries on there to help that relationship flourish, you know? Um, so, but as you think about putting boundaries and how boundaries are important, um, how have you seen that in our, in our lives, you know, um, with our family members that are not following Jesus or maybe are claiming to follow Jesus, but certainly aren't living like it in any real substantial way. Uh, what are some example, examples or things uh, that, that come to mind for you in that context? Yeah, so as I think about um, this conversation about boundaries, and I'd said earlier this morning that um, those boundaries can change over time, there's a couple things that come to my mind. One is that we live in a culture that cancels people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and says, if you have hurt me or you've done something that is toxic towards me, like we have this... this, um, this language of, uh, you know, people being toxic to us. And if they're even toxic to us or they slightly offend us, then we don't need those people in our life. Yeah. I think that that is a lot different than like somebody who has caused 
trauma in our lives. Yes. <laughs> and so this this idea of boundaries, it, it can apply across the board, but your boundaries aren't always going to be the same yeah. with every person in every situation, every family situation. So it really needs to be like by a case-by-case basis and wisdom needs to be applied, mm-hmm. prayerful wisdom yes. needs applied in those situations. Yeah. So like we're not talking about just, you know, cutting somebody off because you they rub you the wrong way or they mm-hmm. don't have the same opinions of you or or, or maybe, the same political views. Right. right? Yeah, like yeah. that's not what we're talking about when it comes to families. We know that when we sit with family members at the holidays here, we're going to have lots of these experiences. Mm-hmm. Um we need to act in maturity. Yeah. You know, and graciousness towards family. Um, the Bible like clearly talks about not turning away from your flesh and blood, you mm-hmm. know, that, yeah. um, that we shouldn't do those things. But when it comes to situations where you have trauma involved or, you know, you don't necessarily feel like you have the maturity to deal with them in a gracious, godly way, yeah, that's whenever boundaries become really important and yeah. um, you try to enact those boundaries in... Um, peaceful, kind ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's important. When we put boundaries in place, we have to be thoughtful about the way that we communicate those boundaries. Right. So as yeah. you said, it's, it's about, it's being peaceful. It's, we're not trying to stir the pot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're not, we don't need to give extra commentary to the thing that is resulted or the, why we have to put the boundary in place. Just say, you know what? Um, hey, when you're over at my house, here's one of our values. And here we would like for that value to be respected or that value to be observed. And here, here's the intended outcome that we would prefer, right? Right. And you then, know? you know, the other, the other aspect to this is um, approaching family with humility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just recognizing that when you see other family members as sinful or man, they're doing it the wrong way or they're acting this way. And that's just not godly. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be around them. Like, I think we need to recognize that we are all walking around with brokenness. Yeah. We're all walking around with sin. Yeah. Some of our sin is more blatant than others and it comes out in different ways, but just to approach family Mm -hmm. dysfunction with humility. Yeah. Like you have it too. Yeah. And I think that's why I said, this morning that I felt, I feel very convicted that I haven't spent enough time praying for family that I struggle with. Yeah. Because, you know, like that puts me in a place of humility to Mm -hmm. be able to talk to the Lord about it and say, you know, I'm not (laughs) the Bible. Matthew (laughs) talks about saying, you know, he says, judge not, you know, like, and not like, just don't like have an opinion on anything, but Make sure that you are very clear on the fact that you have sin before you go about judging others. Yeah. Because you can't really see with clarity other people's faults unless you have a repentant heart. Yeah. 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 I think that that sense of humility is so important, right? And so not just to be on a high horse ourselves and to approach the relationship with humility, to approach the relationship... Not that I personally am infallible, right? That I am not, uh, I have no ability to be wrong in this situation or this circumstance. No, instead, 
I, I, there's, there's a, it's a two way street, right? You know, and I think as you've mentioned in that humility aspect, um, when I'm, when I'm engaging in with family members or, or relationships that are difficult, my responsibility is my reaction, right? I can control how I react. I can control the things that come out of my mouth, the things that I say, I can guard my attitudes. You know, that is not to say that that family member that has a different political perspective than you, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, something, again, some examples for us in our lives, we had, we had some very difficult family relationships and there were, there was a long season there for holiday meals. Uh, When we were, when we were back in living in Pittsburgh as adults, we hosted, we hosted the holiday meals because it was a way for us to be able to set boundaries for what was going to happen and how things were going to be done and those kind of things so that we could have family and have some semblance of having a peaceful, a peaceful holiday meal. Right. Uh, oh man. And the holidays are so it's chocked full of expectations. All kinds of expectations. <laughs> that yeah. Like yeah. you, when it comes to family, like everybody's heightened, like yeah. all the traditions need met and everything yeah. needs to be perfect. And when it doesn't come out like yeah. the ideal, yeah. You know, things get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> things get ugly there, you know? Yeah, so you're really just like trying to do your best yeah. with a mess. <laughs> yeah. Or or there's been times like I said earlier in the, in this as we started talking about this of, you know, where we've said, "Hey, you know what? There are just certain relationships that, you know, we're going to go out to eat with this with this relationship instead of, you mm-hmm. know, having some long uh social engagement, you know, like so yes. trying to go and recognizing and it's not wrong to recognize to say you know what? I'm not best friends with this person. I don't even typically or terribly enjoy the time with this person, but they're my family and I need to respect them and I need to honor them. And so I need to find a way to do that. Now we say this, I mean, you talked about it before, uh, the trauma aspect. You mentioned this morning about abuse. Like this is, this is not finding a way to honor your family members and set boundaries with them peaceably, um, you know, uh, as uh, do, do so in a loving and an honoring way in setting those boundaries, um, that that's not an excuse to be a doormat for abuse, right? right? So if somebody is being manipulative, if somebody is being abusive, if, if there's a relationship that you, you or your children are at harm in harm's way, literal harm's way, then, then that's a relationship that does need to be cut off. There needs to be physical, uh, a physical separation that happens there. So um, I believe we have a responsibility, especially to protect our children in those, in those relationships. And so, you know, we recognize that this isn't easy work. This is hard work. We've struggled through it and we've had family members that were very upset with some of the boundaries that we put in place. And um, I remember one time Danielle got a, got a very angry phone call from a family member because of a boundary that I put in place. And, uh, well, it wasn't just me. We had talked about it ahead of time. And, uh, and I said, we had agreed if this situation comes up, Kyle, this is how you're going to handle it. And that situation came up and I handled it according to how we had previously talked about it. Um, which the family member assumed that we had not talked about it and that, (laughs) that, uh, they were calling to inform Danielle of how horrible of a person I was <laughs> so that she would know. And, uh, the family member was very surprised when Danielle said, no, no, I understand what he did. And we had already talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, so we can't yeah. control other people's response, but we can control ours. And we have a responsibility to following God and his precepts and his truths 
with compassion and grace and love and tenderness because he he extends those things towards us. Yeah, yeah, and there's times when I look back on some of those things that we set, and I think I had to set those because of the my capacity and my maturity levels. Like, you really need to think about where you're at with your spiritual maturity mm-hmm. to be able to handle those things. It's kind of like you don't go swimming in the deep ocean when you don't know how to swim, yeah. you know, like, yeah. in, or you're not a strong swimmer. So if you're, but if you are strong in your faith and there are things, I, I think I'm saying this because I don't want somebody who's like feeling very vulnerable yeah. at this moment yeah. with their family or they're feeling hurt because I've been there, yeah. you know, to like go and be like, oh, Kyle and Danielle said, I have to love them. I have to spend time with them. I have to do this. Right. Yeah. I think that you really need to um, take an assessment of where you're at. And if the Lord has strengthened you and helped heal you through those traumatic experiences or those painful experiences with your family, and you feel strong enough to take the next step Mm -hmm. with your family, then go for it. But it's also okay to say, I'm not sure I can even... Like, it's too painful to even be around them right now. And you can, I really believe you can say that to your family, or maybe you don't because you can't, you know, but you could say to them, this is kind of painful for me. Like, we've gone through some things and you know it and I know it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, but. Yeah. And I agree. So much to say about that. (laughs) I think the important caveat here is that for, if you're, those that are listening and even the person that asked this morning, we all have this specific scenario in our minds and you and I are trying to talk to uh, a general answer here. Yeah. And this is part of a 17 year journey for you and I with our own, in our own situations, our own family, our own friends in these, in these spaces, in these spheres. It's why we need other mature Christian people in our lives to help process specific situations. And, and yes, it is. If, if there are moments and times where we need to just say, Hey, you know what? Um, this is not healthy. This is not helpful. We need people to help us to figure out how to say those things well, right. Mm-hmm. To set those boundaries well. Yeah. And, and to really consider, am I, am I overreacting? You know, or is this an appropriate moment for me to set a very firm, very clear, and what some might even call drastic boundary for the health of my family um, and my spiritual health and those kind of things? And so, um, so yes, we need to process through those, but we process through those not not in isolation. We process through those with other mature believers, and that's mm-hmm. been a critical part of our journey in this process and in this yeah. space. Is is having other mature believers who's been down this path before, down that road before, speaking into it and over it. Because there are things that people have said to us, we're like, no, you shouldn't put up with that. No, that's an area you need to have a boundary. There's also been moments where people have looked at us and said, hey, I think you need to grow up a little bit there, right? Mm-hmm. That thing that you, is a thing, it feels bigger than it actually is, probably because there's this other stuff that you haven't dealt with that needs to be dealt with, you know? Um, but you just need to have people that can speak into your life in both ways. And we've we've benefited uh, from that. Sure. And um, yeah, yeah, so I definitely what, had like a counselor at one point tell me mm-hmm. that I needed to revise my expectations yeah. of certain family members. Yeah. And when I did that, I kind of like let my family members off the hook for being a good, you know, 
whatever, whatever uh, relationship, aunt, uncle, mother, father, you know, just like I, and I let them off the hook with all these expectations that I had of who I thought they should be. Yeah. And because I did that, it, it allowed me to like, my my heart was softened towards them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I think we could probably talk more and more about about this, but I think at the end of the day again, the core truth in this question is that healthy relationships need boundaries and that uh, when we're walking in difficult relationships, our responsibility as Jesus following people is to walk in the precepts and truths that God has set forward and find a way and ways to communicate those values to our family members and our relationships in thoughtful, kind, and compassionate ways. And so um, so healthy relationships need boundaries, and our responsibility is our reaction and the way that we communicate those boundaries to somebody. We can't control how they're going to respond, uh, but we need to honor God and honor those in our lives um, by following God's truth. So, yeah. Well, what's what we've got? I know we've got a whole bunch more questions, so maybe we'll move through the next set here a little a little quicker. So I I'm going to like combine a couple here, and I want to mm-hmm. talk about sin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about because um, clearly we see Judah and Tamar making choices here, making sinful choices. Mm-hmm. It's not the first time we see Judah making sinful choices. Um, no. And so, you know, it's very interesting to think about how God can use even sinful people, but also sinful choices to bring about God's redemptive work. So specifically, you know, I mean, it, well, first of all, it gives us hope for sure about our own families and our own lives personally. Um, One person asked about Tamar's sin and what her sin in the passage was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then also, you know, is, is this how God works all the time where he uses people's sin to bring about redemption? Yeah. Like, yeah, that seems kind of odd that God would use sinful like actions to bring about redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great questions. And I think, you know, again, I think this morning is a noted that if we were original audience members of this text, right, we're not, we're reading as 21st century Americans and we come to this text from a very, uh, innocence, guilt mindset framework, because that's, that is the cultural framework that we operate in as 21st century Americans. Um, there, especially it, within the West, the West tends to be a very guilt, innocence, uh, mindset, um, culturally the Eastern, Eastern, Eastern cultures tend to still be shame, honor context. And this, uh, ancient near Eastern context would have been shame, honor. Right. And so, so we tend to read this and go, who's right, who's wrong, you know? And, and if we were an original audience member, we would see all of it, right? We'd see not just who's right, who's wrong, but we would, we'd be looking at who was shamed, who was honored, who brought shame, who brought honor. And the reality is that everybody in this passage brought shame, you know? And so, um, and what brought the shame? It was their, it's their sin. You know, and so, um, so, so Tamar's sin in this passage, as we noted, it's, it's sin is all throughout this passage. The rebellion is all throughout this passage. Judah, Judah consistently ignores God's prescriptions. First, he marries a Canaanite woman and God had, God had said no to that, um, you know, before this. And the reason he had said no to that before this was because, and we see all throughout the Old Testament, God continues to say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Even in Nehemiah, it was Nehemiah chapter 
13 verse 26 that Nehemiah comes back and he he's like, hey, look, you guys are doing what Solomon did and it didn't end well for Solomon, right? And so Tamar is, is, is ahead of Solomon genealogically. Solomon will come after Tamar. But, but God has been consistent. Don't do this because it's an act of compromise. And that act of compromise will lead to greater compromise. And that greater compromise will ultimately lead to great tragedy. And that's what unfolds here. So Judah's sin and his rebellion is laid out bare for us to see. Uh, we have Ur's sin is, is noted. We don't know what it was, but it was egregious and serious. Onan's sin was, 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 is laid out for us to see and is egregious and serious, right? And Tamar's sin is laid out for us to see. She manipulates her father-in-law, right? She extorts her father-in-law. Right? And these are the nice words for what she's done. Now, we can have compassion. As I said this morning, when we read this text, we are to read it with both truth and compassion in our mindset. And, and so we can, we can have great compassion and should have great compassion for Tamar. But in, her, in, this, in this passage, there's, there's significant sexual sin, right? Judah has sexual sin. Tamar engages in sexual sin. She's not married to Judah, Right, she's not in a in a in a bond of marital marital unity to Judah. Uh, it, it's not out of the in the confines of marriage that they are engaging in a sexual act. She is extorting Judah via a sexual act for her protection. Like it's two wrongs don't make a right. Essentially, here, right? So we've got sexual sin. We've got uh, we've got a jealousy. We've got manipulation. We've got extortion. We we just have all kinds of things. And so, um, so in this passage, sin is just it's it's all through it. And so, um, so what are what are Tamar's sins? Those those are some of Tamar's sins, you know. But but Tamar's sins don't stand out and shouldn't stand out to us as any worse than Judah, Ur's, or Onan's sins. Right? God is is laying this out as. This is sin. This is the, these are the consequences of your sin, right? They are, it is destructive. It is, it is, it is turbulent. It is tumultuous. It is tragic, you know? And, um, and so, yes, God often, God consistently uses sinful people throughout the Bible to advance his purposes. I think that's less about us and more about God, that he's able to do that. But when we look at the grand scheme of Scripture, the only person, the only one that was able to accomplish anything of lasting eternal value is the one who was sinless, mm-hmm. right? So yes, God uses sinful people to bring about the Messiah, but those sinful people don't bring about any lasting redemption. It's only God's Son who is sinless that can bring about our lasting redemption. And so it's a great, I think it's a great, merciful, glorious gift of God that that not only does he save us and welcome us back into his family, but that he invites us into this mission, right? That Jesus says in John 15, that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, fruit that lasts, fruit that is eternal, right? That has less to do about us and our action and more to do about Jesus and what he's doing in and through us, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, again, in this passage, what we see here is yes, this this glorious gift that God uses sinful people, and and yet it points it points to the cross. It points to Jesus as the sinless one who did for us what we could never do for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And paints the tragic reality of our sin, right? You know, yeah. and so 
and it's uncomfortable. It's yeah. uncomfortable. And I think, you know, someone else asked the question, are you being too hard on Tamar? Like she claimed what was entitled to her yeah. under the law and entrusted her faith, fate to God. She was faithful rather than sinful. I think you could probably be both, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and maybe there's not clarity on the fact that um, being or Judah producing an heir for her was not what was entitled to her. No. It was the kinsman redeemer, which would have been Judah's son, Son. Shayla, who she was waiting on to be old enough. Now, she was entitled to a son by Shayla, but Judah didn't give that to her. Yeah. So she took what, well, she she took what she thought she was entitled to, but I almost like, don't you sense some revenge in there? Well, it's not pure. There's nothing yeah, pure I mean, about this. And so, so yeah, the law of kinsman redeemer, the Hebrew word is goel, and it is this profound, important reality. We're going to see it when we look at the story of Ruth. We're going to see the positive mm-hmm. application of it when we see yes. Ruth, right? And Boaz's abundant faithfulness uh, to Ruth and, and to the household uh, of Naomi. And so, um, so we'll see the positive aspect of that. But, but I think you, you're right. What she was entitled to, what God had prescribed, should have been cared for by Onan, should have been cared for by Shayla. Yeah. It's what, what Tamar did was wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. So it, let me get, like, put this example here. Let's say the bank owes me um, $1,000. I don't know. Think of any substantial amount of money that you would go, oh, I'm just not going to let this one slide. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's just say it's $1,000. I don't know. Probably like for me, it'd be like 10 bucks because I'm just like so cheap, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Pinch of pennies. Um, but let's just say it's $1,000. The bank owes me $1,000. I go to get my $1,000 from the bank. They don't give it to me. I, I try every, by every legal appropriate means to get my $1,000. Can't get my $1,000 from the bank. So I decide, you know what? It's mine. I'm entitled to it. I should have it. And so I'm going to go rob the bank. And then I get caught robbing the bank, right? And I tell the judge, well, hey, I was just taking back what was mine. Is the judge going to let me off? No, I committed a crime. I did what was wrong. Yes, something was being done wrong to me, but me doing something wrong in return doesn't justify, it doesn't justify my action, right? Right. I mean, the judge might look like maybe a little bit more compassionately on you. And I think that's where we get the situation with Tamar is we look at her and we say, man, like these guys were doing her wrong. And like she was in a really hard spot. I think we see that in a lot of situations in life, you know, where people, you know, I mean, we see it on the news, like when people do things wrong, but then you're like, what? What happened to them? Like somebody well, really just, traumatized them or did something wrong to them. And so now they are perpetuating yes. what's been done to them. And it's not even just on the news. It's in our everyday lives. Yeah. Right. I mean, how mm-hmm. many we can all put a name on this reality of of, you know, uh, we we are excusing sin. We're excusing rebellion. We're excusing disordered desires because you're like, oh, well, that's what something happened to them. And God wants us to look under the waterline. God wants us to look at our neighbors and our friends and our family members. And, and honestly, I think ourselves with compassion 
because we are harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Those are Jesus' own words, you know. He he had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Our sin harasses us. But God never excuses our sin. He never excuses our sin. It's why why the gospel is so profound. Mm -hmm. Our sin caused dysfunction. Our sin caused destruction. Our sin broke down our relationship with God. And instead of God saying, oh, it's not really your fault. Like you were in a tough spot. Yeah. Right? God said. It's okay that you robbed that bank. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of that, God said, no, your sin is wrong, was wrong, will be wrong every time you do it. But I'm going to make a means for Mm. you to be redeemed. Yeah. And that is like the point of this story. It's not so much, you know, making this debate about. Who was sin? Who who was sinning? Who was right? Who was wrong? The point is, is that there was a lot of wrong going on. But despite that, despite you know, that, Jesus Jesus came through this line. Yeah. Like he made a way even through the sin. Yeah. I think that's what's really beautiful about even what we'll see with all of these women mm-hmm. that despite even sinful choices, despite difficult situations. Jesus still comes from these uh, these situations. Yeah. Like the family line of Jesus looks a lot more like my family line than it does. Yeah, the, just how merciful mm-hmm. he is to have included the the very sinful mankind, human beings, yeah, into um, his lineage. That yeah. that's amazing. That's yeah. really amazing and grace filled. Yeah. And I think, and that's Matthew's main point, right? Chapter one, verse 21, Jesus, he says, Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Right. So, um, so the, the whole, the whole thrust here is, is that the, the, the large, grandiose, striking action of God's redemption in the face of our rebellion. Mm -hmm. Matthew is setting that up. This is who God is. This is what God has come to do. And again, I think you mentioned this. I think, Danielle, in one of our lead-up conversations is you and I were talking about the series here, and you're going, so, and Matthew's the guy writing this. Matthew was Levi. Mm-hmm. He was Levi before he became Matthew, right? This is the, he's a, a tax, tax collector. collector. He yes. is excluded by Jewish society. He understands Hebrew society. He gets all of it, and he was on the outcast until Jesus came and invited him to follow him. Right. Mm-hmm. So the guy who has experienced redemption at his core is the one going, oh, don't forget about Tamar. Oh, don't forget about mm-hmm. Ruth. So don't forget about, um, you know, uh, Bathsheba. Right. Don't forget about Rahab. Don't forget about God's ability to redeem you. Yeah. Like, he's drawing that line personally because he's experienced it personally in a profound in a profound way, right? And it's even it's even it's, it gets to the, I think there was a question about the genealogy, yeah, right? Of why um, didn't why um, why it wasn't uh, Joseph's or why it was Joseph's genealogy and not Mary's because it was through immaculate conception that yeah, Jesus was yeah. born. Yeah, so so Joseph is the earthly father, but he doesn't yeah. he doesn't conceive right mm-hmm. um, that Mary conceived Jesus via the Holy Spirit birth of a a virgin giving birth is the prophecy in Isaiah Isaiah 7 uh, foretells the the word Hebrew word or um, the word there's Alma um, a young uh, unmarried woman typically is how that word is translated understood Um, 
And so, uh, again, the reason the reason for this is because we we might look at the specific bloodline genealogically and go, oh, well, what's up with that? Matthew is a Hebrew. He's Jewish. He's writing to a Jewish audience. And so a uh, the fact that he included women is striking. The fact that he included these four women, uh, extra striking. So when he's writing this genealogy, their logic, their mindset would have been, we trace through the husband, through the father's uh, line. Luke actually goes and he traces a genealogy. Luke is writing to Theophilus, um, which is a Greek name. And so Luke is not writing to a Hebrew audience. And, uh, and Luke actually does a bit more tracing through Mary's line mm-hmm. in, that, in that genealogy there. So Joseph, uh, Matthew advances, hey, he, this is Jesus. He belongs. He follows the right family line. <laughs> he is a long-promised Messiah. He does fit. He does belong to a Hebrew audience in a very Hebrew way. With some striking details, Luke advances his genealogy um, in a uh, more of a Greek way, and uh, and includes more details of Mary's of Mary's side of things, and but also includes some some of Joseph's details as well. So, um, just it's really is designed for the audience that they are writing to, mm. right? You yeah. know, so yeah. All right, can you take one more question? I think so. Okay. We can do it. All right, <laughs> All right Kyle, this is really hard. Uh oh. <clears throat> Um, you, you talk a lot about college. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of those ones, like, you know, we said you could ask anything, anything you want about Kyle, about me, about our marriage, about parenting. And somebody wanted to know what was a positive experience and lesson you learned in college. So for all of our university students who yeah. want some encouragement today, what is something positive? What's a positive lesson you learned in college? Yeah, I think I shared recently, or the most recent college story that I shared um, was that of the striking uh, disappointment of having um, my high school baseball coaches who are not believers having more ethical conviction than the my, my coach at a Christian university. Um, and so... That was striking to me. But I would say, you know what? The honest reality is that in all of those experiences, whether they were positive or negative, I learned a lot and I grew a lot, you know? And I grew in that experience of the importance of being a person of your word. Again, your word matters. How you live matters. Your reputation matters. And if you're a Christian, it doesn't just matter because it's what people think about you. It's what people think about Jesus, you know? And... um Positively, though, uh, I mean, from I guess just not from a, a negative experience that resulted in a positive, uh, positive lesson, <laughs> you know, yeah. positive growth point. Um, I think positively, I mean, I've shared in the past about how my, you know, my four years of psych training. So part of my undergraduate background is in psychology, uh, addictive and adolescent psychology, and um, I've I've joked about how those four years were, and I, I, I joke, but I mean it seriously. You know, those four years were four years of therapy for me, and. Um, and so that was uh, Dr. Robinson uh, was one of my one of my main advisors in my psych program, and and so he uh, his his relationship and his mentoring and his voice in my life was a was a very positive and important voice that was needed at that time in that season. Um, I, I think you know is that the one with the alligators? No, that was not the one with the alligators. That was Coach <laughs> Co- that was Coach oh. Carmichael. 
I had a, a story for another day. Maybe or another maybe, day. Or maybe uh, today. Maybe right now. <laughs> my my hitting coach in college, um, he he was one of three or two two people that were licensed to handle venomous and dangerous animals in the state of Illinois. And one day, Coach Carmichael came to practice with a duffel bag. He sat on the back of the bench, <laughs> and he looked at us. Again, this is a whole group of 18 to 21-year-old males, right, you know, uh, in, in prime uh, athletic uh, competitive juices that are flowing. Uh, <laughs> so not a lot of our, our prefrontal cortexes weren't developed. The whole risk, uh, risk side of our brains was not developed by any means. So he looks at us. And goes, boys, don't touch this bag, which, of course, you say that to uh, these, you know, 18 to 21 year old competitive males. And what do they do? Well, we touch the bag, you know, and all of a sudden starts hissing and starts shaking. And he had to go earlier that day to get a bunch of baby alligators out of a pond that a bunch of Chicago Bears players had bought and then got too big. So they released him into a pond. So he had to go get these alligators so they could be rescued. And, um, and I don't know what he was thinking, but he brought them to practice and this bag starts hissing and, and we got all, it was, it was, uh, coach Carmichael was a hoot, man. He just, uh, so many good stories. So him. many good <laughs> stories. At one point I went over to coach Carmichael's house and he had a kangaroo in his house. I don't know where he got the kangaroo, but it was a rescue kangaroo. This, he was a wild guy. He was a wild guy. And like a um, wild crat. He, yes, yes. We have young children that watch the wild crats on PBS. So if you don't know what that is, it's the children's nature show. Or the, <laughs> what's the alligator guy? Uh, Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. <laughs> Steve Irwin. We, uh, our children. Crikey. Yeah. <laughs> we recently uh, showed our children Steve Irwin. So. Um, let his legacy, let his legacy live on. So, uh, you know, there are lots of positive relationships, uh, that came from college. And so my, so my dear best friends are, are those, you know, this last week I was on a zoom call with a former professor of mine and, um, just, just these incredible, important mm. relationships that came from that incredible, important experiences in ministry training that came from that season. So, um, so no, no, it's, it's, it's not that those years were, were profoundly negative by any means. Um, I said, just the last, I think the last story that I shared was that of this profound moment of being of, of the striking difference and, um, and really the distaste that was left in my mouth. Um, for that and going, man, I need to be somebody of, of, um, uh, significant integrity, not just because it, it behooves me to be that way, but because, uh, Jesus, the impression of Jesus hangs in the balance of the way that we act and the way that we talk and the way that we think and the way that we live our lives out. And so I want to be known for the values of the kingdom so that Jesus would have a good name, you know, and, yeah. yeah, and don't forget that you married me during college, so that was a well, positive experience. If I remember right? the story, if I remember the story right, <laughs> you were in Philadelphia and I was in Chicago, and you moved out to Chicago because I'm irresistible. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. If you could be in the studio right now and watch how far her eyes rolled. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle uh, is irresistible. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know about that. But uh, no, I, uh, I those those were those were wonderful years in lots of ways. Lots of ways. I remember one of one of the professors when I finally proposed to Danielle. He uh, he chastised Danielle for saying yes to me because he knew she could have done better. But then he turned to me and said, "There's no way that I could have done any better, and I did a good job proposing." <laughs> So we have, uh, yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of wonderful relationships. And of course he was, he was teasing me, but he was, uh, he was not wrong. Um, you know, uh, just 
I just I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, I went I went back to that classroom. Oh, oh, your brain just like went there. I just went there. You just went there. I was I was probably there too, actually, just imagining you know Trinity's classroom experience yep. and yeah. all our professors and man, I just our professors though like. The, that's what I remember from college yeah. is those relationships and those people that poured into us and like a couple of them really profoundly just speaking into our lives and saying like, I see this in you, yeah. like you should go for this or you're really good at that. Yeah. And th- that has like shaped and yeah, it, it, it changed the direction of my life yeah. in a lot of ways. And for both of us. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think even, um, even, uh, again, this professor that gave me a hard time and about, uh, you know, why did I wait so long and, <laughs> and how, you know, uh, good thing I married up. But I think one of the things that he often he had said was that one of the most important decisions in ministry is the person that you marry. And um, and just, you know, uh, the encouragement there that I got from him in in proposing to Danielle and and the life that he spoke over us as a couple that was pursuing ministry. And again, it's not, it's not that anything that, that we were anything special or are anything special, right? We're just trying to faithfully follow Jesus, raise kids to love Jesus, you know, um, and do ministry together. Um, but again, it was, as you said, it was people that spoke life into us. And so, um, and intentionally, intentionally did that in important, important moments that helped shape decisions that we made later down the road, um, that were critical, critical to the health of our family, our marriage, our kids. Um, and we're still walking those things out, right? We've got, we've got young kids at home. We're still walking those things out. And so, um, yeah, so grateful for lots of positive experiences and, and grateful for lots of challenging experiences because they have formed me um, in, in, and are forming me. And, uh, and none of it was done in a vacuum. It was all done with uh, in community with with godly people speaking into our lives, my life, your life, and um, you know, and I think again that's where we come back to with Judah and Tamar is that it's a clear example of the power, the destructive power of our sin, and and the opposite invitation there is that of redemption. That when we walk in God's redemption, when we walk with people in God and God's people in God's redemption, speaking into each other's lives, both calling each other out and up to the righteousness of Christ and spurring each other on in encouragement. You know, there's something profoundly good that comes from that. And, uh, and the fact that God would redeem us, would love us, would invite us into that is just a, a glorious, beautiful truth that we should continue to meditate on as we draw near to Christmas, remembering that God fulfilled his promise to send his son. And if you filled that promise, if you fulfilled that promise, he will fulfill uh, every promise that, that he's made and the, ultimately the promise to bring Jesus back. I think that was another question that came up today was that how can I trust God? It, it, you know, there are characters in the Bible that did not see God um, work out those plans in their lifetime, yet they seem to trust God. How can I do that if I don't see God work out those plans in my lifetime? And I think the reality is this, that if, if we have seen God be faithful, then that is enough for us to continue to walk. And we may not know it on this side of heaven, but God promises us that we will know it in the age to come, right? So he doesn't even say that, you know what? You're just going to have to hang out there in limbo. He says, I'm good for it. I've got the receipts for it. I, I told you I'd send my son. 
And I did send my son, right? I told you that I would offer redemption and I offered redemption. And if I told you and I made, and I'm good for those things, I will be good for what's yet to come, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think that's what spurs us on is that faithfulness is this trust that is motivated by God's past uh, performance, God's past, you know, um, God's past actions. He's done it. He's come through. And so we need to constantly remember those things, the big things and the small things that God has come through on for us, because there are, each of us will face those realities that we're just, we're not going to see some things worked out in our lifetime. And, and that's hard, you know, um, that is hard. But when we keep an attitude of faithfulness, an attitude of, of remembering God's faithfulness, it spurs us on to trust him for the things that we will not, may not see uh, worked out in our, in our lifetime, right? Yeah, things on this side of heaven are not going to be ideal ever. No. Uh-uh. You know, so we have, to, we have to recognize and see the small things, the small ways that God has been faithful to us. Yeah. And sometimes they're big ways, but we have to see those small things that God has done for us throughout our entire life and recognize that that is God's faithfulness. And so we can trust him. We can trust that the, he holds the future. Um, And then we also look at scripture and we say like, Oh, he can do that with Tamar. Like if he can do it, he can do that with her and that situation and all the situations we're going to see in these coming weeks in Advent. What can he do through me? What can he do through me? Yeah. 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 Well, hey, everyone, thanks for hanging in here on a much on a longer uh, Beyond the Sermon podcast. Usually on the live days, live Q&A days, we get a lot more questions. And this was a, a particularly uh, great passage just to dialogue through. And so, yeah. Danielle, thanks for joining me today and uh, every, every Sunday through our Advent series as we wrestle through uh, Matthew's genealogy and the stories that Matthew refers to there. And as we look forward... Uh, both in remembrance of Jesus' first coming, the, his birth, and as we look forward uh, to his second coming. So we let us, let us pray this week. Uh, Lord, find us faithful, and Lord Jesus, come back soon. Yeah, it's going to be a great month. 28 days till Christmas. 28 days till Christmas. All right, church. Well, uh, we will catch you next week on the Beyond the Sermon podcast.